So Hebrews, we're wrapping up Hebrews today. I hope you've enjoyed Hebrews. We've been in this now for three months. Uh, I didn't know what I was in for. Uh, I got into Hebrews probably because Sabrina told me I had to. And uh, once I got into it, I'm like, this book is complex. This has a bunch of landmines. But uh, as I've, do you have a question? Count you in. Awesome, Kip. Thanks, buddy. We will. We'll count you in. So we have, uh, it's, it's got a lot of landmines, but as I've jumped into it, I've realized uh, Hebrews is rich, and boy, does it lift Christ up. Hebrews, if you remember, is, uh, it was a sermon. It was intended to be read to Christian congregations. It gets uh, its title Hebrews because its uh, target audience were Jews who had become followers of the Messiah. And the purpose of Hebrews fundamentally is to encourage Jewish Christians not to back away from Jesus Christ, not to leave uh, their Christian identity and return to the safer arms of Judaism. And why would that have been a temptation? Well, because persecution was breaking out against Christians. And so you had Jews who were being persecuted as Christians who were, who were thinking, you know what? If I can be right with God through uh, kind of the Jewish law, the Mosaic law and the Jewish sacrificial system, I'm going to go back to that because nobody persecutes me for being a Jew. They persecute me for being a Christian. And so uh, Hebrews is written to say, don't, don't do that. And it's a positive and a negative argument. The positive argument is to say, look at all we have in Jesus Christ. Why would you want to give that up? And the negative is to say, you know what? Uh, God is no longer saving people through Judaism. He's now saving the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's not like you have multiple options. There is only one name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. And so if you back away from Jesus Christ, you back away from God himself. And there is no hope for you. And so today we come to the final chapter, chapter 13. We're going to zero in on verses 10 to 16. And so please open your Bibles, if you would, Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. And I'll read. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I want to get at the implication of this text for us today with four questions. Four questions that I think this text wants us to ask of ourselves. And the first question is this, do I have a right to eat from the altar of Christ? What do we read in 10? We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Do I have a right? Who, who are those who serve at the tent? He's talking here about the priests of Israel. When this letter was penned, uh, the people were still bringing 
animals to be sacrificed at the temple, the priests were still um, killing animals. And by doing so, they are repudiating Jesus as the Messiah. They're, they are not acknowledging Christ's death upon the cross as final and sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world. By the, fact of, by the fact that they are still offering sacrifices, they are rejecting Christ. They don't have faith. And as a result, they don't have a right to eat from the altar that you and I eat from. Because we eat from that altar by faith. Now, the, the background is, uh, in Judaism, in this. There were lots of sacrifices. You had uh, Thanksgiving offerings, and you had uh, peace offerings, and guilt offerings, and sin offerings. And um, most of those offerings, the priests were allowed, they burned the entrails of the animal, and then they took the rest of the animal home, and they barbecued it, and that's one of the ways the priests' families were fed. But there was one category of sacrifice they had no right to eat from, and that was the sin offering. Anytime there was a sin offering, the animal was taken outside the city and burned up. They had no ability to partake of it. And here, we're, what's being talked about in particular is on the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year, the high priest would sacrifice a bull uh, for his own sins, and then a goat on behalf of the sins of the people. And the blood of the bull and goats was brought into the holy place, and it was poured at the base of the altar uh, in payment of the sins. And then the bull and the ram, or the goat, were taken outside the city and burned, and the priests were not allowed to eat of it. Well, that was a uh, that was a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he was crucified outside the city, right? And he was rejected. And, and the priests don't have any right to partake of that sacrifice because we partake through faith and they don't have faith. And so the question for you and the question for me this morning is, do I have a right to eat from the altar of Christ? And the question there is just, do you have faith in God's Son? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? And what are we, what are we told here? We're told that those who follow Christ, those who have received him, are, we are sanctified. His blood sanctifies us. To, to be sanctified means to be cleansed, to be purified, to be made holy. Our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. And boy, those priests who rejected Jesus Christ were missing out because the blood of bulls and goats never takes our sins away. It merely covered those sins almost like punting the judgment uh, a little bit downfield so that God could relate to you, but you were not made holy. It is only through the blood of the Son of the Most High that our sins are truly taken away, that we are sanctified. And do you want that? And it might be that today this is the question you need to ask. The rest of the questions, maybe they're not as, they're, they're not as important to you. The question for you today is, Will I or won't I receive Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior? 
Because until you do, you have no right to eat from his altar. His blood is not taking your sins away. You are not sanctified. Now, Christ's blood is sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world, but only those who put their faith in him receive and benefit from them. Do you have a right to eat at Christ's table? Second question. Am I an outsider? Am I willing to be an outsider for Christ? Verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The fact that Jesus was crucified outside the city uh, was due to the fact that he was being rejected, right? They put him outside the city uh, as a way of saying, we reject you. We do not acknowledge you as the Messiah. Your words are not the words of God. They are not the words of life. You are a false prophet. You are bad. You deserve what you're getting. He was reproached to be reproaches to be to be censored with uh, disdain. And so the 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 religious leaders, the people of in power, put crucified Christ outside the city as a massive statement. You couldn't make a bigger statement. We reject you. You deserve to die. We don't want to have any part of you. And what are the Christians in Hebrews being encouraged to do, commanded to do? And what are we being encouraged to do? Go to him outside the camp. Choose to go identify yourself with the one that the world reproaches. How popular are those who who stand at the foot of the cross and say, I'm I'm with him? Bear the reproach he endured. We are called to bear Christ's reproach. Are are you willing to be an outsider for Jesus? Now, what does that look like? Last week, Saji was here. And he, he told us about when he was 20 years old and became a Christian in India, his father bound him hand and foot and beat him. And then cast him out. You're not part of his family. Rejected him. I think about uh, in 2000. Uh, nine, uh, Dr. Christiana, she, 35 years, she had served in a, a clinic uh, that served the, the poor and the needy. And for 35 years, when people came to her and asked for abortifacients, uh, she said, referred them to another doctor, said, you know what, I don't want to uh, provide material support for an abortion, but here's another doctor who can serve you. Well, in 2009, the laws changed. And all of a sudden, she lost her job because she wasn't willing to fully perform her her, uh, required duties. Instantly, she became an outsider. 2015, Kay Davis, the the Kentucky clerk of court, who for many years had been signing marriage licenses. And then all of a sudden, 2015, the United States Supreme Court says, uh, legalize the same-sex marriage. And she says, I don't want to have my signature on marriages that I from the Bible, believe are an abomination before the Lord. She was put in prison for a few days, instantly became an outsider, uh, vilified by many in our country. 
did she want that? <laughs> when she took that job, did she sign out up for that? No. But she was choosing to go outside the gate. It can get, it can be much smaller. I think about when I was a first year in college and my RA came and said, hey, everybody's got to go to this uh, mandatory sex ed meeting. And I said, I'm not going to go. I don't intend to have sex till I'm married, so don't need that. No, no, it's mandatory. You got to go. So I went. And I was, I listened nice and quietly until they began to talk about how to have safe, aberrant sex. And at that point, I stood up and I said, I'm out of here. I don't need to hear this. And instantly, I was an outsider. You think about the, the student who writes a paper defending creationism and gets a poor grade for being unscientific. Or you're the one who leaves the party early because... They've decided to watch a horror flick. That doesn't go unnoticed. Or your colleagues are like, hey, we're all headed to the, a strip club right after work. We want you to come with us. And you say, I'm sorry, I don't do that. I'm a Christian. You're an outsider. Right? Or you, you know, you're, uh, people are sharing their sexual escapade stories, and, and all of a sudden you let it know that you're still a virgin. What? They mock you, and then they pity you. You're missing out, and you become an outsider. Go to him outside the gate and bear the reproach that he bore. Boy, we are all faced with this. You have your own stories. In fact, I would, I would challenge you and say, if you can't point out places in your life where you're an outsider for Jesus, are you really going to him outside the gate? Are you bearing the reproach? He bore. Charles Spurgeon, some called him the Prince of Preachers back in the early 1900s. He said, there is no being a Christian except being shut out of the world's camp. That's a strong statement. There is no being a Christian except being shut out of the world's camp. I can scarcely conceive it possible for any man to be a true saint a holy man, one who is set apart unto God and sanctified in Christ Jesus, unless he is reproached while on earth for being too strict, too Puritan, or perhaps sometimes too melancholy. Third question. Am I seeking the city that is to come? What city am I seeking? Verse 14, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Is that really true of me? Am I seeking the city that is to come, or am I seeking this city, the one right in front of me that I can taste and touch and feel and smell? Why is it okay, why is it okay for us to be outsiders for Christ? I mean, for most people, out, being an outsider is a, a terrible fear. People do not want to be outsiders. Why is it okay? Well, it's okay because we recognize that this is a temporary city. We are seeking the city that is to come. And that word seek, actually, it has the connotation of greatly desire, long for. The Bible says that we are to set our affections on things above, where our life our true life is hidden with Christ in God. Who are you really? How do you really think of yourself? Set, don't don't uh, uh, put treasures here on earth. Set up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and 
thieves break in and steal, but set your treasures in heaven. Treasures that can't be taken away. If you were to invite somebody into your life to audit you, and you say, you know what? Don't listen to what I say. Uh, look at what I, what I do. Audit the way I use my time, uh, my money, where my energy goes, what I fret about, what I take joy and pleasure in. Audit it. And, if they, and then come back and tell me where, what city you think I am seeking. What would that person say? Would they, would they get from the way you live your life? Wow. You are clearly seeking the city that is to come. Or are they going to say, well, you're like everybody else. You're clearly trying to build your kingdom here on earth. Right out of college, I went to Russia for nine months. I lived in the city of Khabarovsk. And I knew I was there for nine months. And as a result, I had a very different attitude about my time in Russia. I was not trying to make a home there. And so I found the things that really irritated those who lived there to be kind of exciting. It was a challenge. It was unique. I was bolder, I think, with my neighbors about sharing the gospel because I'm only here for nine months, right? I was willing to live in places that I normally wouldn't live in because it's temporary. Am I seeking the city that is to come, or am I building my kingdom right here on earth? This kingdom will pass away, right? This kingdom will pass away, but the one that Christ brings us will last forever. Final question. Am I offering to God the sacrifices that truly please him? You know, here are these priests, and these priests are offering sacrifices, and the people of Israel are still, they're offering sacrifices, sacrifices that cost them time and money. But these are not the sacrifices God wanted, right? And sometimes we offer sacrifices to God that we think he wants and needs. God needs me to work hard so that he's pleased with me. God needs me to earn my salvation through my good works. Those, those kinds of sacrifices don't please God. The Bible talks about people who have zeal without knowledge. Just because you're zealous, just because you're uh, sincere, it's kind of irrelevant. In fact, if your sacrifices actually indicate that you're not trusting Jesus Christ's death upon the cross as full payment for your sins, and if you're not trusting in God's unmerited favor to save you, then you're offering sacrifices to him that are actually um, undermining uh, the work of Christ, undervaluing the work of Christ. And that doesn't please the Lord. So, well, what does please the Lord? He, he tells us here about three sacrifices that do please him. Verses 15 and 16. Through him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Three sacrifices that we can make 
that God smiles at. Number one, publicly professing your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do your classmates know that you're a Christian? Do your neighbors know that you follow Jesus? Do your co-workers know? Does the girl or the boy that you're dating know you're a Christian? It should never be a secret. In fact, every time we say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, I would love to share with you the gospel because it is the hope of the world. Every time we do that, it is a sacrifice that goes up to the Lord and he is pleased with it. And he knows that by publicly taking a stand for Christ, we run the risk of being reproached, right? Which, let's all be honest, is the reason we keep our mouths shut. It's because we don't want the backlash. But when you are courageous and you take a, a and verbalize your support for Jesus, that is a sacrifice. It costs you something. It's a risk at a minimum. And God is pleased with that. Number two, do good. Do not neglect to do good. We don't just do good. Um, you don't just stumble into doing good. You make a choice to do good. Because doing good takes time and energy, and oftentimes money. And so you have to make a choice in which you say, I'm not going to do selfish today. I'm going to do good today. I'm not going to do bad today. I'm going to do good today. I'm not going to do me today. I'm going to do us today, today or them today. Do good. It's a sacrifice. Of course it's a sacrifice. Because most of us, if we were just following the currents of our selfish heart, would do selfish, right? Not necessarily do good. And so what is good? Well, anything that makes earth a bit more like heaven. The Bible says that right now it is, in heaven it is done perfectly according to the will of God, and someday on earth when Christ is reigning with us, after Christ returns, it will be again done on earth, just as it is in heaven. But right now, it's not. And so you, we can look around us and see places in our families and in our schools and, and businesses and friendship circles where it's not being done according to the will of God. And so if we step into that, and we seek to address that, whether it's a justice issue or a righteousness issue. When we do good, intentionally, and with effort and expense, that's a sacrifice that pleases God, right? And the third one, share what you have. Share what you have. Generosity. Every time you share, you have less for you. That's the reality. Every time you share, you have less for you, and so you are denying yourself. You're putting the needs of someone else above your own needs. Hey, you're being kind of like Jesus. And God loves that. That is a sacrifice that pleases him. Amen. And you know, sharing also 
demands trusting God. Because when I share, I am saying, God, I'm going to trust you to make up what I just lost. Right? And so it comes out of a heart of, of faith and a heart of love. And that pleases the Lord. Here's what's amazing. When this book was written, the Christians were called to go outside the camp. We're talking Jewish people here. And they're saying, go against the dominant culture. You know, the the vast majority of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, they have rejected Jesus Christ. They do not acknowledge him as the Messiah. They put him outside the gates and killed him. I want you to go uh, leave the bosom of Judaism. Go. Become a, 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 a verbal, outspoken follower of Jesus Christ. Bear the reproach. Do good. Share. Create a new community. A new way of living. And that's what the Christians did. And early on, they were the minority, and they were persecuted. They were put in the arenas and fed to the lions. They were put up on stakes. They were all kinds of terrible stuff. But you know what? The community that they created was attractive. And little by little, more and more people came and joined them. And that community grew and grew and grew and grew. And eventually, it took over the Roman Empire, and it became the dominant culture. And unfortunately... Oftentimes, we lose our way and it gets diluted and it's kind of a expansion and shrinking. But if we will be people who uh, publicly profess our faith in Jesus Christ, if we will do good, if we will share, we're going to create a community right here at Clearwater Church that is attractive. And you know what? There is a dominant culture, and unfortunately, the dominant culture in America is increasingly out of step with biblical Christianity but there are people who are uh, who who have been sucking uh, from the world's culture and and straw uh, sands coming up their straw and they're gagging and they're saying there's got to be another way there's got to be a better way and they are there is and we're to model that that's our calling as a church we're to model a different way to live a better way to live uh, a life that is in communion with God through faith in His Son Jesus Christ it's an awesome calling. And there are people you know and I know that we need to be bold and invite them to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, right? So here's the final question uh, I want us to just take a few minutes to consider. Am I willing to be an earthly outsider in order to be a heavenly insider? Because that's the fact. Every time you choose to be an outsider for Christ on earth, you become more of a heavenly insider. There's always a win. There's always a a blessing. Am I willing to be an earthly outsider in order to be a heavenly insider? And God, what does that mean for me? Jesus Christ, there is no way we'd be willing to go outside the camp and bear your reproach. We did not believe that God exists and that he diligently He rewards those who diligently seek him. Like John, we say, where else can we go? We have come to believe that you are the son of the living God and you have the words of eternal life. And so we take in your words, we live by your words, and we experience your life now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.